You're listening to the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Chris Parliament today. We've got lots to get to, including Borocop living up to his nickname, a full recap of the Ottawa Senators' 0-3 stretch since our last episode. Hey, at least Belleville's making up for it. The Baby Sens have won three of their games this week by a combined 14-6 to score. And hey, a friend of the show earning a milestone. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is December 3rd. I still don't think Mark Borowiecki should be the next captain, but on and off the ice, this is a guy the Sens need to keep. And you know what, Ross? This is a guy that can go from the East Coast to the West Coast and take care of business on and off the ice, like you mentioned. Goes off and clotheslines a guy, which is something that you think about doing to a buddy, maybe if he's bugging you and he rides his bike by you, but... This guy witnesses a crime instead of tackling him or doing anything like that, throwing something in the spokes of the bike or just trying to grab the bag. He clotheslines this guy off the bike. I would have loved to see it happen. And it's absolutely hilarious that it was Boro Cop that did it. Yeah, you can see uh, on Twitter at Bruce Garriock or at Sun Garriock, I guess. He had a full um, a full article about it. But if you haven't heard the story, Mark Borowiecki broke up an attempted robbery in Gastown in Vancouver on the on the Sens day off, nonetheless. I uh, saw somebody punch through a car window, grab a backpack, and try to bike away. Boro gets in the way of him, and the guy tells him to get out of the way, and instead he gives him, as Parley mentioned, the old clothesline, returns the bag. All is Done. And I mean, not only that, but Boro had some great words as well about uh, about the whole coaching thing that's been going on. Mark Crawford is actually the latest who's uh, been under investigation. He'll be away from the Blackhawks. We'd heard stories as far back as last year about really kind of what kicking players. Same same sort of thing that Bill Peters happened in in uh, Carolina. So Boro had some good stuff to say about that, just how there's no place for it in the game. As I mentioned off the top. I want my captain to be one of the top three best players on the team, but there's no arguing what this guy means to the group on and off the ice. Um, Got to keep him in the lineup as he's in the last year of his deal. Nobody would even really have thought of that going into the year. He would have been an afterthought, but you got to get this guy locked up. I mean, he's he has shown that he's been a, been a big part of the organization off the ice, but this year he's starting to prove it on the ice. And I had a little bit of fun on Twitter as the Senators put out another hilarious clip. We've talked about their social media team stepping up to the plate this year, doing all the stuff that they've done, but putting out that Borocop video this morning, I quoted it and put, hey, he's doing stuff like this, but at the same time, this guy is got more points than Cody Cece, and you know what? That's something we didn't see coming in. It looks like he's changed his game a little bit in the offseason, and we joked about it earlier. He threw the visor on, and he became a little bit of a skill guy. I'm sure he'd get a good laugh out of that one. He's got 10 points in 27 games, just one point away from his career high, if you can believe that. The, the thing I think changed most about Boro's game, though, is his breakout passes. He used to be such a liability, just skipping it over guys' sticks all the time, going for icings. Now he's just making tape-to-tape simple plays. Uh, great compliment with Dylan DeMello. We've seen more and more during this road trip that he DeMello's gone up and played with 
uh, with Shabbat leaving Boro uh, with Zaitsev for the most part. But I really like if they can keep that Boro-DeMello pair all together, despite the Senators not being so successful uh, getting into their road trip. We mentioned the, the loss to Columbus was right before our last pod, but they hung in there with the Boston Bruins actually dominating them on the shot clock. But uh, once they went on the road, they left some of their game behind with them. It was 3-2 Minnesota going into the third period, and then the floodgates opened 7-2 the final score. And then as they start their trip out west, the Calgary Flames beating up on them 3-1. Although there was an empty netter in that one, so it was closer than the score may appear. What's your takeaway over the last three games here, Parley? I mean, that game against Boston, I don't think the Sens have looked better all year long. They played well. They outshot one of the teams that is creating some of the best offense in the league right now. They were able to shut them down for two periods, and then it was starting to see their... It happens, especially in a rebuilding team. It doesn't matter how hard you play. If you don't have the top-end talent and the other team does, that's how it's going to win you hockey games in the NHL. Brad Marchand, of course, scoring. Thorn in your side every time you play him. But I was very impressed with the Senators' effort in that game, their ability to get pucks on net. And I talk about high-end talent. The Senators have gotten a lot of good games out of their goaltending this year, but Tuka Rask stole that two points for Boston, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but Rask was unbelievable 10 bell saves left and right um certainly wasn't on um on was nielsen at the other end it was um yeah yeah yeah, of course with anderson on the ir right now we'll get into hogberg actually looked pretty good against calgary and uh Mm -hmm. joey decord with the alternate move coming up to the american league and getting his first win so stick taps to joey um and hogberg looked good yeah sorry so but back to the boston game yeah that's just a a good team's going to find a way and you know that they probably weren't happy with the way they played through two periods and they came out in the third period and and really showed kind of why they're the best team in the league yeah and the senators kind of went back in what they've been doing all year long and that's playing hard for two periods and then if they're not behind if it's a close game they kind of shut it down and I don't think their shot average could be much higher than seven or eight in the third period this year. And they, they kind of, they clog the neutral zone up. They send one guy deep and then kind of stack two guys up high, which I don't know in a game like that, when it's close, especially with an explosive team on the other end, you got to keep the gas pedal down. I think, especially with just a one goal lead. And that's something that they've maybe been getting away from a little bit under DJ Smith. It's nice to play that way. If you have like a two or three goal lead, even though those are the worst leads in hockey, but when you only have one goal lead, you got to keep the gas pedal down. You're not going to win a lot of hockey games not producing anything in the third. Well, that was the case in point against Minnesota. I mentioned as I introed this part of the show that it was 3-2. It was a close game going into the third period. And then the floodgates opened in a span of two minutes. Uh, it went from 3-2 to 5-2. Um, and then, I mean, once Eric Stahl scored on the power play to make it uh, 6-2, it was all but over. But it's the goals in quick succession. Like, all of Minnesota's goals in that game. It was 2-1 Ottawa after Brady scored his ninth of the year. Nice to see Connor Brown get off the schneid with a point. He hadn't had one in about a dozen games. But so Minnesota, they go up, they tie it up 2-2, and then two and a half minutes later go up 3-2. I already mentioned how they scored in quick succession. But then when they made it 5-2, it was 6-2 a minute and a half later. So it's these goals stopping the bleeding that's going to be most important for the Sens going forward. And that's kind of... Okay, you'd, you'd expect that out of a young team. Um, kind of getting down on themselves after letting in a goal. They have to put it in the rearview mirror, get back next shift, and push, push offensively. Because that's a backbreaker in the NHL, allowing two goals that quickly. Absolutely it is. And it, you look at that game, and it almost seemed like it was, it was that weird 4 p.m. start that we had teed up a little bit in our last show. 
but it looks like they didn't want to show up until 7 p.m. Because early on, you mentioned they did have the lead. They had the one nothing lead on a nice Nick Paul tip. And then they had the 2-1 lead after a Brady Kachuk goal. But they could have been down four goals in the first period. There's pucks that went through the crease. Uh, Minnesota missing wide. A post here, a post there. And they just were not ready to go there. Flat-footed early. And that's not what you want to see because on games like that where a team that's averaging 2.89 goals for per game in Minnesota you got to be able to get on them quick. And a team like Ottawa, who's struggling to score goals as well with the younger legs, you'd hope that they would just try and gas them out of their own building, but it didn't happen. Um, bit of a weird start, like I said, coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday for a lot of Americans who probably had a little bit maybe too much to eat the day before, but you never know. It was a bad start, and it just got worse for them. It seems like they didn't have any legs off to start and no stamina to keep it going. As you mentioned, five goals in the third. Yeah, and then getting on to Calgary, where it was a 3-1 loss, although they were tied again in the third period. Pajot tied the game up at one uh, with just over five minutes remaining. It was, again, short-lived, so it's not even just when they allow a goal. It's when they score one as well. Pajot scores um, with 5-10 left in the period, and then with 4-10 left in the period, a minute later, Elias Lindholm gets his first of two, the second one being a power play empty net goal uh, towards the end of the game, but... That was one I thought the Sens could have taken advantage of. A team in so much turmoil. It was um, whatever their uh, interim head coach's first um, full game, knowing that he was the interim head coach for the rest of the season. Um, I thought maybe the Sens could jump on that, start the road trip off well. The the major part, obviously going to Minnesota a little bit closer, but being out west in, in Calgary, thought they could pull it off, but it wasn't to be. Uh, what was your takeaway on this one, Parley? Well, going into that game, if you're not betting against the Senators, I think every time that a team gets a brand-new head coach in there, you, they're going to win the game because everybody's just going to be guns a-blazing off the top, and I think that's what I think well, that's what happened again here. I was expecting a big game from Brady Kachuk, however, unable to get on the score sheet after. You know what? In games that the Senators are losing this year, Brady's still finding points. As we mentioned, he scored against Minnesota, wasn't able to find anything against Calgary, and that's a team that's been letting in a lot of goals lately as well. Matthew Kachuk, I guess you could say he won the brother battle in this one, getting an assist on an empty net goal, and it was a secondary assist. So I don't really know if they were playing the Chell game where you have to get a couple touches before scoring on the empty net or what. But Matthew Kachuk, I guess you can say, took this one. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a letdown of a game, especially after a game where they looked like they didn't have anything. You'd think a young team would be able to bounce back in a back-to-back and in the back-to-back situation, I got a bone to pick with DJ Smith here. I don't know if Logan Brown was under the weather and it was just easier to say that it was because it was a back-to-back, but a 21-year-old can't go back-to-back in the NHL. I'm not sure what's going on there. I get it. Didn't have the greatest numbers in the game against Minnesota, but come on, he's got to be on the ice, especially when he's playing with a guy like Brady Kachuk and Anthony DeClaire. You want to keep them rolling. The one thing I will say is that at practice in Vancouver, he was back with DeClaire and Kachuk, so it's not a situation where... He falls out of favor with the coach and then has to work his way up the lineup again. They took him out. Maybe it's just like we were talking about earlier in the season with uh, with Eric Branstrom. It's not the worst thing to see the game from up top. And Logan Brown hasn't really spent much time in the NHL away from uh, a few stints when he's rehabbing injuries in junior. I know he'd come to Ottawa and watch the, the team practice and all that, but I don't think it's a, the worst thing as uh, Milo makes his Locked On Senators debut. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't think it's the worst thing for Logan Brown to see one game up there, but it can't be a continuous thing where uh, I expect him to be back up over 15 minutes next game and uh, and go from there. And that next game's actually in Vancouver. We can roll on over to that. Alex Burroughs will be honored into the Canucks Ring of Honor. Of course, the illustrious Senator's career. His, his career in Ottawa kind of symbolizes the highs and lows because he was on that 2016-2017 uh, team only for the best part of it, where he came just before the deadline and then was on it the next year, where it's probably the worst year in Sens franchise history. Um, how would you uh, wrap up Alex Burroughs' time as a senator? Uh, I have in my notes here less than illustrious because it was, I remember he came over and uh, Pierre Dorian was saying he was getting high fives, even hugs from some veterans around the team, and they were so excited to have a veteran presence on the squad. And then he went out and he scored two goals in his first game. And we were all kind of like, oh, well, maybe he knows what he's doing here. Maybe we got kind of a diamond in the rough type thing, a veteran who's got a little gas left in the tank. But then, yeah, less than illustrious, 25 points in 91 games played. Played 91 games for the Senators, if you can believe that. And on top of that, like you mentioned, he went to the Eastern Conference Final with this squad. He had five points in 15 games played there. I mean, there was guys scoring up and down the lineup who knows where you got those assists from maybe off the shin pad or what but yeah uh, it was a bad stint with the senators and it ended in the worst way because you remember what he did to taylor hall the eventual heart winner that season mauled him and was suspended and it was yeah how many games did he get situation i think it was around seven or eight because of the repeat offender it was gross i didn't like it i said i never wanted to see him in a sense uniform again and i got my wish but Ross, the big part of that deal was the big bruise you left on my arm when you read the tweet that Jonathan Dahlin was going the other way. And we were not happy with that because at the time he was being compared to a young Philip Forsberg at the same age. That was in the early days of the AtSense Central Twitter account. And uh, I had to delete a few tweets after I cooled down on that one. Yeah, it was not a good time. But I mean, he was a guy that we have a buddy too, who's a Vancouver fan and uh, he's a good hockey guy. And he's, he was all over us for that one. Another uh, CSM school guy, but kind of looked like Darlene had fallen off a little bit and wasn't going to be the prospect. Certainly it hasn't lived up to the Philip Forsberg type thing, but he's playing for Teamer this season. He's got 33 points and 25 games played. So it looks like he's still able to put the puck in the net. Who knows if that would transfer over to the North American game, but I mean, he's still putting up points, and he's young. Well, there's a reason why he didn't stick in Vancouver. Then he ended up getting traded to San Jose, funny enough, for Francis Perron, who was another Senators prospect. He went the other way and couldn't make it in San Jose either. So he got his opportunity, just uh, you know, couldn't make it happen. Kind of funny to note, we tweeted out at Sense Central, uh, Alex Burroughs played his final NHL game 20 months ago. Crazy to think that. There were only five players in that Sens lineup that day against the Boston Bruins, the final game of the 2018 season, who will be in the lineup tomorrow. So we asked on Twitter who can name them. A lot of people getting four to five, but Andy wasn't in the net. It was Sens legend Danny Taylor between the pipes. So correct answer to that. You can go find it at Sens Central on Twitter. Uh, There's a couple in the comments who are right, or you can go look it up yourself if you want to get right to it beyond that the uh, Belleville Senators actually doing their part to get some wins for the organization they've had a perfect week three and oh since we last spoke they've actually won eight out of their last 10 games as well 
So that's good to see. And I think even more so, Parley, it's who is doing the scoring that's most impressive. Friend of the show, Drake Batherson, right there where he belongs atop the names of the points leaders in the AHL. And exactly, he's getting it done where you want him to get it done. And it seems like he's been doing it all year long. There's been a lot of lineup shuffling down there because of injuries. You've seen a guy like Rudolph Balsers hop out, who's hopped back in with a lot of success. Another guy, Vitaly Abramov, who scored another filthy goal against a guy who's been wearing some flack on this show lately, kind of out of nowhere, Corey Schneider. I mean, it's the guys, like you mentioned, getting it done, and it's up and down the lineup as well because there's guys like Alex Formington and Josh Norris getting it done as well. Yeah, we just tweeted out the points per game leaders on the Sens, and you just love to see all guys under 24 years old. So, um, of course, uh, every AHL team needs their vets. Jordan Schwartz with with a a pretty good season. He's got 14 points in 20 games, but what can you say about Rudolph Balsers other than that he's too good for the AHL? He's got 12 points through eight games, plus seven, and I think the the Belleville Senators tweeted out I want to say it was 24 but that he and Drake in the in the eight games they've played together have combined for 24 points in those eight games so just a couple guys and with Josh Norris down the middle and he had a slow start to the year of course coming off his surgery last season but up to 18 points in 21 games so uh you just love to see it oh how nasty since we last spoke was that that uh Abramov goal Yeah, and like I mentioned on Corey Schneider, but you love when you can hop on Instagram and, you know, over the last couple of years, it's just been like the Senators were the laughing stock in the league. You never saw anything good about them, but now you can hop on there and see those nice new red Belleville jerseys and Vitalia Bramov just going to work on a former NHL or again, Corey Schneider. It's funny to see, but it's nice to see, and they're getting love from everywhere. Another thing I want to mention, though, is we talked about Rudolph Balsers and how he's too good for the AHL. Do you see him sticking down there for the remainder of the season, or is he coming back up to an NHL team that I don't know if there's a spot for him in the lineup once everybody comes back and healthy? No, it's going to be tough to find room for him just the way that the Sens have have kind of put their lines together until guys start getting moved, which I would think is an inevitability with the way that they're scheduled to finish projected to finish at the bottom of the standings could you see him replacing a guy like Ennis on the fourth line sure but I think when when he comes up you want him to get a real opportunity yeah you have to and that's the thing you don't want to bury a guy in the bottom of the lineup and that's where a guy like Scott Sabrin will step into the lineup when he's back and healthy and it's it just seems like it's a numbers game at this point obviously we hope Bobby Ryan gets the help he's needing in whatever situation he's dealing with but when he comes back into the lineup that's another NHL body that's there of course, the, Mikhail the, the guy the guy who sticks out is Artem Anisimov, maybe a guy yeah. who they don't really need, but with that contract, he's not going anywhere, and I don't think they're going to pay him to play in Belleville. Uh, but that's kind of the only natural guy who'd slide out of the lineup. Top six, I think you want to roll with that for the next little while with Nick Paul, with Pajot, and Connor Brown. And Logan Brown, of course, we mentioned with Kachuk and uh, Duclair. Yeah, you're right. And that's what I mean. You get that bottom six and there's guys in there contract-wise. It's going to be tough. Uh, you don't sign a guy like Scotty Sabrin to sit in the the rafters if he doesn't have to because, I mean, he's already missed so much time, especially at the point where if you're selling guys, he's the type of guy you want in the lineup because he he's going to be a guy that plays the game the way you want him to. He doesn't fill a lot of minutes for you. but Well, I mean, and he's the tank commander. 
that's what I was just gonna. I'm trying to get at as well with a little bit of nicer <laughs> words. He uh, he's the type of guy that you get in the lineup for that type of reason. So if you're trying to pull a guy up like that, I'd almost rather see Rudolph Balser stay down. If Belleville stays hot, eight and two in their last ten games, they get a real shot at making a run here if they're able to pull themselves out of the bottom of the North Division, which right now they look like they're on pace to do. Yeah, definitely. They've jumped into a tie for third with the Utica Comets. Um, well, they're also tied with the Laval Rocket, who are not underneath. And they got a little switch up in goal. Caden Primo has been leading the AHL in save percentage this year. He's up in Montreal. Keith Kincaid, assuming he clears waivers, uh, will be going down to Laval. So just another NHL goalie for the Belleville Sense to feast on in the North Division, as they did with our buddy Corey Schneider. Um, going to be tough to get top the division with the Marley's already kind of pulling away with that, but good to see the kids doing well. And I mean, just leave them down there. I don't think there's such thing as over marinating. There is such thing as rushing. So not that I'm saying guys like Drake Batherson aren't ready for another opportunity in the NHL, but let it come naturally. The NHL roster we mentioned last episode is actually filled with NHL players for the first time in a while. So I think you're fine to let it sit there, aren't you? Yeah, and I agree. And not only does it help a guy like Rudolph Balsers to continue to have success and a guy like Drake Batherson, but how nice is that for a first-time pro like Josh Norris to be able to play between two guys and find success, get some more confidence going like that. And hey, it doesn't matter. AHL games are pro hockey games in the playoffs. And that's a grind that if a young player like Josh Norris can learn how to be a part of, especially on the road in Belleville, riding the bus instead of on planes and you're in a playoff run and stuff like that. So hopefully that the Senators are able to do that and keep going. You mentioned a little earlier in the show as well, but a friend of the show, Joey Decord. First yes. win at the pro hockey, so that's something exciting to see as well, obviously on a goalie-friendly show. Yep, 26 saves, just allowing the one goal against the Hershey Bears, so... On the road, nonetheless. So stick taps, as we mentioned off the top. Joey Decord, first of many, I was going to say pro wins, but he's got a couple in the East Coast League. First AHL win. We expect him to get many more at the AHL and NHL level as well. Another news and note for a Sens prospect, the Team Canada unveiling their uh, selection roster for the World Juniors. And they got one defenseman, Jacob Bernard Docker, having a great season at North Dakota. Uh, he's on a bit of a point streak as North Dakota's won nine straight games. He'll be likely representing Canada. They do have, I think, three defensemen to make cuts on. Um, but he'll likely slot in on the top four. A uh, few other guys who will likely be on the on uh, the World Junior stage, Shane Pinto, the 32nd overall pick from the last draft, and maybe Luke Lowheight and Jonathan Gruden, both invited yep. to the U.S. selection for camp. Yeah, and Jonathan Gruden's been finding a little bit of success down in London this year, which is another good team. Yeah, going back to Canada's blue line, however, it's going to be a good blue line with two guys returning. Ty Smith, a guy that got a little bit of a taste uh, a couple years, well, in the last two years at the age, at the NHL level uh, in training camp and stuff like that. I think he's a good player. He's a left-handed defenseman. He reminds me a little bit of a, like a Tory Krug or a Shane Gothisbeer, a smaller guy, but just a smooth skater, can move the puck well. Uh, so he's going to be a returning player. And then Jared McIsaac as well, who's been hurt a lot, but is going to be a good player again. A bit of an older guy coming back, playing in his second time. So those are going to be the two big names, I think, on the blue line for Canada this year, heading into World Junior season. But Jonathan Bernard, sorry, Jacob Bernard Docker, again, I did it. Jacob Bernard Docker, I think I'm just going to say JBD from now on just to you save myself me. some trouble. <laughs> but uh, like you mentioned earlier, a little off air, he's been slotting into the top four on a lot of guys' depth charts. So 
that would hopefully mean some second power play unit minutes for him and just get some more confidence. And I think a lot of Canadians are going to be surprised by how good this guy is. He went in the first round, but doesn't get a lot of love because he's down in the States, hard to find games. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. So I think when he comes over, people are going to start to realize, whoa, this kid's pretty good. And it's going to be exciting for Sens fans because we talked about it earlier, how Belleville is just kind of gluing together a blue line down there and it looks like a dire situation. But when a guy like that comes over on the right side, it's going to be exciting. And then you got to remember, Lassie Thompson will probably be there as well. Yeah, wow. Could be uh, reinforcements coming down the stretch for the playoff run once North Dakota and maybe Ilves in the Finnish League finish their seasons. But uh, I think we can also speak to the success of uh, Bernard Docker by his progression. Last year he had 17 points through 36 games. Well, he's three points away from that, and he's only played 15. He's almost a point a game, 14 points in 15 games. Has that nice plus 10 rating, which you like to see as well. So really bright future coming for him. Looking forward to watching him over the Christmas period with the Canadian junior team. Uh, Looking ahead for the Ottawa Senators, we've already talked about the Vancouver game tonight. It's 10 o'clock Eastern start. And then tomorrow, another back-to-back situation against Drysaddle, McDavid, and those Edmonton Oilers. We'll be back to talk about all that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast for Chris Parliament. I'm Ross Levitan. Thanks for listening and enjoy the game tonight.